open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 and continue in our series through this Gospel, looking at what it means to have forward motion in the beginning of the year. This was Peter's encouragement when he encouraged the church that was undergoing trials, persecution, opposition, the church that was to look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And we too look forward to the coming of Christ Jesus as well. We may have short-term, long-term goals. We may have a pursuit of, of a certain relocation of, of home or job, whatever it would be, but, but that we would pursue supremely that our master passion above anything else would be pursuing Christ. We want to pursue Christ above everything else. So Peter tells the church, look forward to the Lord's coming. Be steadfast. That means don't be easily carried away. Start the race well, end the race well as well. Don't be easily distracted. In 2 Peter chapter 3.18, as we look to the Gospel of Luke in a few moments, Peter tells the church this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now notice, what does he say? But what? But grow. That, that is the purpose of us as Christians. We should be growing in the grace of God. We're not only saved by grace, we grow in grace. And we want to grow in God's favor and God's grace and what he's done for us by his favor in our lives, but also in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So he encourages them, as you wait for the return of Christ Jesus, don't be moved, don't be distracted, don't fall away, instead grow. What do we want to do this year? We want to what? Say it out loud with me. Grow. Grow spiritually. Grow in the right way. And we see exactly that is happening in the life of Christ as a boy, as a young boy. I think there are many times we wonder, what was Jesus like as he grew up in his home? Jesus grew up in a, in a home uh, just like a, a normal home that you would think of with, with Joseph, who was a stepfather, and, and Mary, who was his mother. And this is the only place within the four Gospels that we have a picture into the life of Jesus before he's 30 years old. This here is the only place where you know how Jesus behaved, what he was into, where he lived, what he loved, and what he learned. So this morning we're going to learn those three things, where Jesus lived, what Jesus loved, and what Jesus learned. This is the, the boyhood of Jesus, our Lord, the Messiah. And I'm going to invite you that you would stand with me this morning as we open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 39. 39, and we'll read together. I'll read the odd verse. You read the even verses out loud together. Luke, chapter 2, verse 39. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus 
lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Verse 49, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Lord, we come before you right now, Lord, and we ask that that would be the theme, that would be the mission statement, that would be our, our value statement this year. I must be about my father's business. Lord, that we would build our values, that we would build our home, our marriage, our families around this, this value statement, this calling. Lord, would you speak to our hearts regarding our priorities today? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Together we said, amen. amen. You may be seated. This is where Jesus lived. Where, where did he live? We're going to begin looking at the place where he lived. Where, where did he grow up? We know he was born in Bethlehem, but where was he raised? And just think about how challenging it would have been for Jesus to be raised in a home with Mary and Joseph, and then he had brothers as well. And Jesus was sinless. What does that mean? He made no mistakes. He was perfect. He was that honorable son that maybe every parent would wish they had, right? That he did nothing wrong. Just imagine being a sibling of Jesus, a brother, right? James or John. And Mary looks at you one day and says, you know what, James? I'm just so tired of you doing that. Why can't you be more like Jesus? And that should be the goal. That should be the, the attitude. That should be the aim, to be more like Jesus. But notice where he lived. In verse 39, it tells us, so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord. This is the fifth time of the mentions in this chapter that it describes the law of the Lord. We saw the first four mentions of the law of the Lord as to where Mary and Joseph were submitted, faithfully obedient to the requirements of the law of the Lord, of the word of God, and where they raised Christ in the ways of God, submitted. Notice Jesus had a heritage of a godly home. Notice that in verse 39. Jesus had the heritage of a godly home. His parents were submissive. His parents were faithful. His parents were obedient to the word of God. This is who they were. It happened that after they had performed everything regarding purification, after everything that they had performed according to the word of God regarding circumcision, that in verse 39, it says that they returned to Galilee to their own city called Nazareth. Now they go back to their hometown where Jesus is raised. This is a place that God chose from the beginning of time where the Son of God would be raised before the foundations of the world. And if you joined us a few weeks ago, we talked a little bit about Nazareth, a very small, despised, poor place with a bad reputation, violent, corrupt. Out of there, out of such a humble, lowly place, 
was the son of man raised? Now, we don't know much about his early years besides the text that we look at this morning, but there isn't anything that we don't know that we need to know. This is what the Holy Spirit gives us regarding the boyhood of Jesus. And where the Bible is silent, so are we. There are many people that speculate into the life of Christ as he was a young boy. But if the Bible doesn't say it, then, then maybe we don't need to know it. This is what we know and this is what we take from the, the life of Christ as a child who became flesh in his humanity. Think about the humanity of Jesus here in these verses. But they return, and this is the place where he lived in Nazareth. Verse 40 speaks of the plan. And the child, what is that word? Grew. And I want you to look at this because it speaks of development. The child grew as a normal child would. He grew healthy or he grew physically. But he doesn't only speak of his physical growth or his physical development. It also speaks of his spiritual growth, his spiritual development. And it says he grew physically, he grew healthy, but he also became strong in the spirit. He became strong in spirit. He was growing physically, he was growing strong, but also he became strong in spirit. Now, I love the word that it uses as became, because this is something that was a process as he grew up, as he was being fed off the word of God in a home where the word was taught, in a home where the word was cherished. There he was growing the right way. I think as parents, we need to make sure that our kids are growing the right way. There are so many parents that are so concerned with the intellectual development of their children. They want them to have the best scholastic education. Maybe even physical development, something happens to them that you run straight to the doctor, you stop everything. You are stopping because of the, the, the physical development of your child is important to you. But I don't want to ask you today, is the spiritual development of your children important to you? That is the most important and that's the one that's mostly neglected. There are oftentimes that parents would make sacrifices so their kids can be in sports, so their kids can have a better education. But are you making those same sacrifices so that your children are raised with the values of a biblical home, with the biblical worldview? These are the values, these are the principles, these are the precepts that we want to start the year with, growing the right way. We don't want to grow in number as a church. Simply, we do pray that many would be saved. We do ask God that we would reach more for his kingdom, yes. But, but the growth that we desire would be that we would be strong in spirit. What does this mean? Jesus was young, but he wasn't spiritually immature. Well, would, you, would you remember that today? Would you, would you take note of that? He was strong in spirit. The spirit was working in him spiritually. He was not weak. In fact, verse 40 describes the maturity in the life of Christ as a young boy. It would say this, he was filled with wisdom. You know what wisdom represents maturity. He was strong in spirit. And that strength, the spiritual strength he has, was poured out in the fact that his life 
was a life of plight in wisdom. There was wisdom. He, he knew the difference between right and wrong. He had discernment between the will of the Father and the will of the world. There was an application in his own life of God's word that was applied. Do you see that? This is what it means to be strong in spirit. When you're strong in spirit, what is required of your life? What is the natural fruit that takes place in the life of one that is becoming strong in spirit? Wisdom. Wisdom is more than knowledge. It's more than intellectual experience. It's more than education. It's, it's knowing how to apply the truth. Jesus knew the truth, and he knew how to apply the truth. He was filled with wisdom. And he was also filled here, the grace of God that was upon him. Two key characteristics that we look at in the life of Christ as he's growing up, as he's becoming strong in spirit, filled with the truth applied in his life. Discernment, good judgment. And then the grace of God was upon him. That means that God's favor was upon the life of Christ. The, the, the goodness, the favor of God was evident in the life of Jesus. Even as a young child, there was a God-like quality about him. Now, I want you to look at the word wisdom there again in verse 40, because he was filled with wisdom, and later the epistles tell us that he is the wisdom of God for us. Not only was he filled with wisdom, he is the wisdom of God for us. What does that mean? True wisdom isn't about getting smart. True wisdom isn't about achieving success. God's wisdom is received through a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. That's what wisdom looks like. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.30, this is what Paul says about wisdom. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. He was filled with wisdom. He became the wisdom of God for us. You want wisdom today? You want wisdom from God? Then it only comes through a relationship in his son, Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus lived. But notice what Jesus loved there in verse 41. It says this, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. His parents were raising him at home the right way, but his parents also had spiritual commitments. These were family values. I think every year we have to revisit our family values, make sure our priorities are in the right order, make sure that we're building our, our family on the right principles and precepts, and that we're following that which is from the Word of God because it would tell us here that his parents Every year, according to the Passover festival, they would take Jesus over to celebrate. This is what his parents did. And the Passover festival, to give you some context, was one of the three major festivals that happened each year. In fact, the Jews were considered or required to travel from the outside, if you lived outside of the city of Jerusalem, to come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. It was Passover, it was Pentecost, and then it was the Feast of Tabernacles. This year was one of those feasts. 
This was one of those ceremonies. And what do we learn here so far? That just as his parents, according to the word of the Lord, obeyed in circumcision, they're also obeying in Passover. Now, I want you to look back at that form of circumcision. What does it remind us? If, if the Jewish people in the Old Testament were reminded to obey God through circumcision, for us, what does that look like? It means for us, baptism. Well, what, what does baptism represent for us? That we no longer are living a life after the flesh. We're living a life after the Spirit. That, that is what circumcision to us means. It means baptism. It means I died to the old self. I'm living for the Spirit now. But here, Passover represents the Lord's Supper for us. Why? Because in Passover, they were remembering how the Lord delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. They're remembering how the, the blood on the top of the doorpost would cause the angel to pass over the homes of those Jewish people that were there in Egypt. They were coming into Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice to remember the Passover, deliverance from bondage, deliverance from Egypt. They're remembering the exodus from bondage. For us, when we celebrate Passover, it looks like the Lord's Supper. Why? Because we're remembering how through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, we too have passed from death to life. This is exactly what they're celebrating there. And notice what it describes in verse 41, every year. I want you to circle every year. Because every year as Passover came, they were committed to celebrating deliverance. They were committed to remembering how God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. Every year says that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were committed, but also they were consistent. It's not simply as how you start the year, but I want to ask you, how will you continue this year? How will you finish this year? We need to look at our lives as lives that are committed and are consistent to God's word. They were consistent. So in verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Or notice in a different translation, as it was usual for them to attend. What does this tell us in verse 41 and 42? That Jesus was 12 and his family was committed and consistent. They attended the feast of Passover there at Jerusalem as usual. Well, what does it tell us? That church was important for them. That sacrifice was important for them. That worship was important for them. And for us too, it should be the same. If you're committed and consistent to the Lord, if you want to grow the right way, if you want to be strong in the spirit, you know what it really requires from you? That, that worship would be important to you. That, that church would be important to you. That that offering or sacrifice or service would be important to you. This is what his parents were teaching him. They were teaching him that church was important to them. That worship was important to them. I think we have to do more of that. Sometimes we, we think it's enough to just name our children with a biblical name, right? 
And we as believers will name our children with a biblical name and we'll give them a name like Hezekiah or something. <laughs> Beautiful name. And then Hezekiah on Sundays, he's not at church. He's playing football. We need to raise our kids with biblical principles, teaching them church is important, sacrifice is important, which means ministry, and church is important. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, it would say, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. What does that mean? The truth will be in him. Verse 43, when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. This is what Jesus loved. Jesus was strong in spirit, but he loved this. This, this is what attracted him. This is, was, was a part of his, his heart, his desire. It says that, that they returned, but Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and, and Joseph and his, and his mother did not know it. Did you ever thought you blew it as a parent? Don't feel so bad. Because they forgot Jesus. You would think you have such a great responsibility as parents of the Son of God that you would never lose sight of him. But I want to tell you how easy it is to lose sight of Jesus when you're so used to having him around. How many times do you think that Jesus is a part of what's taking place, but you have lost sight of him? This is what happens here. They didn't know it. I, I like a different translation. It would say, they didn't miss him at first. He, he wasn't with them. He wasn't traveling, and they didn't miss him at first. They thought that, that Jesus was with them. They thought that Jesus was, was traveling. That They thought that Jesus was a part of the, the caravan. In fact, in verse 44, it describes this, but supposing... The word supposing is important because oftentimes we fail in the fact that we assume or we suppose things that are not true. They supposed or they assumed him to have been in the company that they went a day's journey and saw him among the relatives and acquaintances. They would travel during this time in, in a caravan as they would travel into Jerusalem and they travel this way because of safety, because of robbers along the way. So in order to decrease danger and increase fellowship, Mary and Joseph traveled with family, with friends. And they thought maybe Jesus is, is with a group. Maybe Jesus is with our friends. Maybe Jesus is a part of the crowd that, that is traveling and we just haven't seen him, but it, it would say that after a day that they did not find him, now they're worried. They went a day's journey and then they started looking for him. Just think about it. They went a whole day. They didn't know where he was at. And it says that when they could not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. I want you to look at these words. These are words that we must hold on to. They went to Jerusalem doing one thing. What were they doing? Seeking him. Seeking him. We lost him. But they do what every parent should do when you've ever lost anything, and I hope it's not your child. <laughs> they go seeking Jesus. 
They make every effort to find their lost son. Now, I want to pause here, and I want us to look at this because it, it represents the lives of many spiritual people. How often we easily take for granted thinking that Jesus is a part of the crowd that is traveling that we are in. He's a part of the company of people that, 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 that we think we're a part of, yet we are without him. He, he's not there. How often do you think we're walking with Jesus? Jesus is a part of this group, but we left him behind. We, we started drifting from him in our hearts, maybe. You see, they went to church. They made the sacrifice, but then they left Jesus at church. <laughs> there are many times that people come to church and they leave without Jesus. They don't leave church without Jesus today. Don't just come to church and hear about Jesus, talk about Jesus, sacrifice or serve for Jesus, offer to Jesus, but then you leave him at church. It's so easy to be able to fall into a trap where we do this, where we lose sight of him. You know what we're called to do? To stay in communion with him, to take him with us. Today, when you leave, I pray that you take him with you, that you would walk in communion, that you would walk in fellowship with him, that it would not be an outward form of works or performance, but it would be a life of fellowship and obedience. Do you remember the angel that spoke to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? He spoke to them regarding an issue that represents this spiritually to us. He spoke to them to do three things. Remember, repent, and repeat. I want you to write those words down as we begin this year. Remember, repent, and repeat. The church of Ephesus, it was a large church, a church that, that was doing all the outward things the right way. They were going through the motions. They were surrounded by all the right people. Church on the outside looked good, but on the inside, something was missing. And the angel of the Lord said, nevertheless, I have things against you. You've left your first love. Mary and Joseph left Jesus in Jerusalem. Many of us have left our first love as well. So what does the angel of the Lord speak to the church of Ephesus? Number one, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember. Remember something is missing right now. Remember so you start the right way. Remember from where you have fallen. You used to love Jesus. You wanted to walk with Jesus. You wanted to read the scripture and fellowship and serve him and pray and obey him. Do you remember where you were one day when you were on fire and in love with him? He was your first love. You would never lose sight of Jesus. You would never leave him behind you. You weren't drifting away from him in your heart. And then he says, repent. What does that mean? After you've remembered that, now repent. Turn around now. Stop. Repent. Repent and then do the first works. Repent and repeat. Go back to where you left him. <laughs> Go back to where you last were with him. Where was it where you were so in love with Christ that you need to go back to that place? Go back to the place where you left him. Go back to the place when you were so close to him. 
Mary and Joseph do the very thing. They go back to the last place and where they were with him. They return to Jerusalem. I pray that today, if you've lost sight of Christ, I, I pray if today maybe you've become comfortable thinking you're walking with Christ when he's actually missing in your life, that you would remember, you would repent, and you would repeat, go back to the place when you were with him, when he was your first love. So it would say in verse 46, now so it was that after three days, they found him. Notice it took them three days to find him. Three days, one day of looking, the next day of traveling, maybe another day of looking. Three days, and then they found their son. Now, I don't want you to think that it's okay to leave your kids in the children's ministry today when you leave. <laughs> they will call you to come back. <laughs> but his word tells us very clearly, verse 45, they returned seeking him. And when you return seeking him, notice what, you, what will happen. You will find him. Return today to seek him. And if you return to seek him, you will find him. You know where they find him? In the house of God. Isaiah 55, 6, the Lord says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. What are we to do? Seek him. Return, go back to that place. Seek him and you will find him. These are some commitments that we need to make today. But notice what happens also. It says that they found him in the temple. They found him at church. These are two words that I want you to circle this morning and never forget what was Jesus doing? Sitting in. Would you say it out loud? What was he doing? Sitting in. That's so good. You know what you need to do all year? Sit in the house of God and listen to the word of God. You know what? I started January good. I can take a week off here, a week off there. You know, I'm going to do online. If you're online today, you need to join us in person. There's so many people here at church today. Sit in. And what were they doing? They were sitting in, and he was sitting in as they found him. He was sitting in, in the midst of teachers. What was he doing as he was sitting in? There was a commitment here. He was learning, and he was growing. You want to learn? You want to grow? Then you have to sit in. You need to be fed the Word of God. Sit in both. Notice, both. This is a part of growth here. This is a, a form of discipleship for us, both listening to them and asking them questions. This is Jesus as a student. He was God. He is God. He, he was a son of God. But you know what he also is? He, he's a student of the Word of God. He, he was engaging in, in the theological discussion here. He, he was sitting in with the Jewish rabbis of the day. And he was listening first. And then after he listened, he started to ask questions. Notice Jesus knew his Old Testament. He, he knew the Psalms. 
Jesus knew the prophecies. Jesus knew the promises of God. He, he was listening to all of this. Jesus is God. God, God is love, and love is listening. So Jesus was listening. This is the expression of what love is, and in its course, who he is, because he is God, he was listening and asking them questions. Verse 47, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Notice the response. They were astonished at one thing, his understanding. He understands. This is important to him. He has answers. You see, Jesus was filled not only with humility, he was also filled with authority. Why? Because he knew the word of God. He was filled with humility. He was filled with authority. He was, he was not intimidated by the teachers. He was handling the word of God amongst that discussion. Now, we can learn a lot from the conduct of Jesus. They, they did not find Jesus misbehaving. They, they did not find Jesus idling with other children of his age. What do you see from the behavior of Christ Jesus here as a 12-year-old boy? That if children are old enough to know how to do what is wrong, that means they're also old enough to know how to do what is right. There are too many kids today that, that know more about technology than they know about theology. They're exposed more to the screen than they are to the scriptures. I want to invite you, I want to encourage you that you would teach your children who God is, that he's loving, that he's merciful, that he's just, that he's faithful, that he is a jealous God. Jesus had an understanding of the word of God, and therefore later on, the word became who became flesh, John 1.14, had a powerful teaching ministry filled with authority. In Mark 6.2, it would tell us this, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, this is Jesus in his ministry, in his 30s. Where did this man get these things? They thought, and what wisdom is this? Isn't this how his childhood started with wisdom? What wisdom is this? It was the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus that is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. They were astonished when they heard him teaching. They wondered, where did this wisdom come from? Mark eleven eighteen. then notice what the scribes and chief priests Respond, Mark eleven eighteen. They said, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him. For he feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. He was listening. He was answering. He was growing in wisdom. He was strong in spirit. And in verse 48, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, notice, they, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to think when they saw Jesus doing that. They had never seen that before. This is why they're worried. This is why they're anxious. This is why they're fearful. And notice what happens. His mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? And she's obsessed. She's frustrated. She's, 
She's anxious. She can't believe that it took three days to finally find him. And there he is, listening to asking questions. So why did you do this to us? And notice what she says. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. We've been searching for you, your father and I. Everywhere, worried, fearful, anxious. Your father and I? <laughs> now, do you want to read the, most, the, the first recorded words ever written to us in regards to what Jesus said? They're found in verse 49. First recorded words of, of, of Jesus here. He, he gently rebukes his mother. She said, your, your father and I have sought you. And he says, wait a minute, let's stop there, Mary. <laughs> you want to talk about my father? We need to get something straight here. Why did you seek me? Why were you not, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This is the, the theme of the life of Christ Jesus. This should be the value statement, the theme, the principle in which how we make decisions in our life as well. Why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know where to find me? If you want to look for me, then you have to understand that I must be about my father's business. Now, circle the word must there in your Bible because what he's saying, I, I must obey. I'm obedient to the will of my father. Notice he's not saying, I'm trying, mom, just to do the right thing here. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm intending to do the father's business. He didn't say, I hope to do the Father's business. I think oftentimes we start the year very hopeful with the best intentions. These weren't intentions. This was do or die. I must be about my Father's business. This is non-negotiable. This is mandatory. This is not an option in his life. This is what I must be doing. In fact, you know what he was telling his mom? This is my first commitment. I want to ask you, where is your first commitment today? That we would be about it. Don't you love how Jesus responds to his mother? I must be about. What are you about? We must be about the things of God. Because what Jesus is telling his mom, I must be in the things of my father. Write this down this morning. I must be in the things of my father. Too many times entertainment excites us more, pulls us away, draws us our attention, distracts us. Any invitation that would draw us away from the things of the father would quickly lure us in. Jesus here is showing what his first commitment is, and that's the things of my father. First, he affirms his divine sonship. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? This is who my father is. It's the heavenly father. But not only is he declaring his divine sonship as the son of God, making himself equal to God, he's also reminding his mom and Joseph that he has a mission to do in the will of the father 
which is the Father God. I must be in the things of God. I must be in the will of God. I must be obedient. I'm under the authority of the Father. I'm under direct accountability of the Father. At this point, 12 years old, Jesus had a clear conscience of who his identity was and what his mission was. Do you know who you are? You're a child of God. And as a child of God, do you know what your mission is? To obey him. To be in the things of your father. What was he? He was determined. What was he? He was dedicated. What was he? He was undivided. There are too many people, even in church, that are divided very quickly, very easily. I can't serve the Lord because. I have something else that's more important. My job, my success, my dreams, my goals. Notice this undivided devotion to the will of the Father here. In John 4, 34, what does Jesus tell his disciples? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Where do I find my nourishment? Where do I draw strength from? From doing the will of my Father. I'm not gonna pay attention to secular things that draw me away from my primary attention, which is a life of separation. Your identity is marked in being a child of God. Your mission is to obey God. That means you are to live a life of separation, a life of sanctification. You're set apart for his holy purpose and use from the world. You're set apart for God. And then number three, service. This year, make it a year that describes those three things in your life. Separation. I'm separated for God. Sanctification. I'm becoming holy like him. Number three, service. I'm going to use my life to be useful in the ministry and mission of the kingdom of God. God doesn't call you simply to bring a sacrifice. You know what God calls you? He calls you to be the sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says this, I therefore beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of what he's done for you, that you present your bodies a living, what? Sacrifice. That means your body, your life is on the altar. I must be about my father's business. I'm separated. I'm sanctified. I'm serving. What is the spiritual values I'm building my life on? I'm separated, I'm sanctified, I'm serving. My life is on the altar, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. This is what we need, the renewing of the mind. That you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. We don't want resolutions. We want the renewing of the mind. That means the mind has been renewed, so the heart is transformed as well. And not only in soul, but also in behavior, there's a transformation. There are often times that people make so much time, sacrifice so much energy when it comes to time, resources, and talents to sacrifice for their business. But what about with the business of the Father? When you make your business God's business, then your life can become useful. Then your life can become useful. 
Just as you have fully invested yourself in other things, are you fully invested in the things of God, in the house of God, in the word of God, in the will of God? Jesus is invested in the house of God. Jesus is invested in the word of God. Jesus is invested in the will of God. This is not a recommendation. This is not a request. Jesus knew at this point that the Father had commissioned him to accomplish certain tasks that came from him. In fact, notice Luke or Luke 4:43. This is the second time Jesus uses this word must. Luke 4:43. When he spoke about the purpose of God, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God. He's undivided, he's devoted. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities because for this purpose I have been sent. Determined, dedicated, undivided. Do you see that? Determined, dedicated, undivided. I must preach. This is my purpose. This is what I must do. Luke 9, 22 then. The Son of Man must, again, speaking of his sacrificial death, he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. This must happen as well. He is determined. He is devoted. He is undivided to the will of God regarding his sacrificial death. What about when Jesus visited the house of a forgiven sinner, Zacchaeus? Luke 19, 15. You notice what he says? Come down fast from that tree, Zacchaeus. I must come and stay at your house today. Jesus was devoted. Jesus was undivided. And Jesus was determined to the will of the Father. When he said, I must be about my Father's business, he, he was not speaking of the work of a carpenter. He was speaking of the work of the cross. That is the work that God wants us to be about. The work of the cross. That you would be about the cross. In Luke 24, 7, notice what he says. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. From his childhood to his Ministry from 30 to 33 years old, his public ministry as we would know it, his father's business was one thing, and I want you to remember this this morning, our salvation. What is his father's business? Our salvation. That was the business of the father for the life of Jesus the son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He was, number one, our example Jesus, he was our example that we would imitate as a humble servant, the Lamb of God. He came to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins as our example, not only to be that example, to also be an establishment of a new covenant, that he is our high priest. He mediates between God and man. He came to give us an example. He came to give us an establishment, but he came also for our expiation. What does that mean? For our substitution, who took away the penalty of our sins on the cross so that we can have eternal life. This is what he must do. 
he must go to the cross. You know what he says we, we must do as his people? We must do as sinners? He told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you know what he said? You must be born again. <laughs> There's only one must that you have to do. You know what it is? Be born again if you want salvation. You want to be a part of it, the Father's business? You want to reap from the benefits of the Father's work in the Son? Then you must be born again. Notice verse 50 there. But they didn't understand the statement which he spoke to them. They didn't know that Jesus was speaking regarding his identity as the Son of God. They didn't comprehend what he was saying. This is what Jesus loved. He loved the will of the Father. And notice what Jesus learned in verse 51 and 52 as we come to a close. Then he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and he was subject to them. Now he was submissive to them. He, he, he went back home with them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Jesus was submissive. The knowledge that he was the Son of God, the knowledge that he was the Messiah, the Christ, didn't make him proud, didn't make him haughty. He didn't resist the authority of his parents. He was subject to them. Notice the obedience, the submission that we find as our example in the servant, Jesus Christ. You know what the mission is also for us as Christ? If our identity is his children, you know what the mission is? The mission is always submission. The mission is submission. This is an example of submission in the home. In Ephesians 5.21, what does Paul tell the church? Submit to one another in the fear of God. What should exist in our lives this year? We should be submitting in the fear of God. So many people think, well, I want to be a really good leader. Well, how about this? Why don't you pray first that you're a really good follower? <laughs> because before you learn leadership, you have to learn submission. He was submitted there. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live a long life on earth. Submission. You know what submission reminds us of? Humility. Humility reminds us of the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What does the Lord ask of us to be submitted, to be obedient, to have the fear of the Lord. Now, verse 52 speaks of the fruit of his submission. If in 51 we learn he was submissive, in 52 we learn the fruits of being submissive. These are the fruits of being submissive. This is the humanity of Christ. And Jesus, it began with, he grew in verse 39 and 40, in verse 52, it says he increased, he, he advanced. 
In what there again? In wisdom. Why? Because he was being fed the word of God and the will of God. You know how we want to increase this year? Lord, give me wisdom. And the Bible says if you ask for wisdom, he will give it to you. When you're submissive to the Lord, you know what you increase in? Wisdom. Lord, whatever you want from me, wherever you want me to be, I want to submit to that. You know what that is? That's you increasing in wisdom. And he also increased in stature. Not only was he becoming bigger physically, but I want you to know, notice how it speaks and describes Jesus. He was growing bigger as a person in character. And then finally, and in favor with God and man. He grew in favor and grace before God, the Father. He had favor before God, and then he had favor before people. This is what submission looks like. Out of the fear of God came the favor of God. Would you remember that today? Out of the fear of God came the favor of God. And as a result of the favor of God, there then came favor from man. He grew in a very balanced way without neglecting any part of his life with his number one priority being the will of the Father. He, he lived a life that pleased the Father. Why? Because he said, I must be about my Father's business. Are you about the Father's business today? Are we walking in the steps of Jesus that he laid out for us here in his word? I think these are questions that we have to ask ourselves to examine how we will begin this year. I must be about my Father's business. If I want to grow healthy, if I want to grow strong, if I want to grow strong in the Spirit, I, I must be about my Father's business. Notice what Jesus says later in Matthew 6, 24. You can't say you want to please God and please this world at the same time. No one can serve two masters. You either will be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. We have to be loyal to the Lord in undivided, determined decision to say, I must be about my father's business. I want you to write these three things down as we come to a close here. We want to be about a father's business, number one, in opportunity. In opportunity. In Ephesians 5.15 and 16, it would tell us this, See then, you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Make the most of every opportunity. Walk in wisdom. Redeem the time. We want to be our Father's business in opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but know and understand what the will of the Lord is. In opportunity. This year, we want to make the most out of every opportunity. We don't want to waste opportunity. Whatever opportunity we have, we will want to please the Lord. Redeem the time. Don't waste time. In Luke 19, Jesus says, do business till I come. Be busy about the Father's business. In opportunity, redeem the time. Number two, in maturity. Not only in opportunity, but also in maturity. In Hebrews 5.11, notice what it says. 5.11 through 14. We can look at verse 14 as the emphasis. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised 
to discern both good and evil. What does that mean? We are to leave elementary principles and then go on to the full oracles of the Word of God. That's what the apostle speaks to the Hebrews there. You should be teachers right now, but you need someone to, to teach you the first principles of the Word of God. So in opportunity, in maturity, and number three, in priority. In priority. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Opportunity, maturity, priority. Would you turn to Colossians 3? Let's look at Colossians 3 together in our Bibles. This is priority. Colossians 3.1 if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Notice that. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are to seek, and you are to set your mind on things that are above. Can we say today, Lord, we're going to be about your business in opportunity, redeeming the time, in maturity, in growing in the grace of God, and number three, in priority, in seeking the things from above. Let us pray.